Hey there. It's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Tim Bidermius. With the Super Bowl just around the corner, what better way to honor the sport of football than by honoring some of its greats? Shortly, you'll hear from the legendary coach Bill Parcells himself. But first up, four men who paved the way for generations of black NFL players. Keyshawn Johnson, a celebrated former NFL player in his own right, co-wrote the book The Forgotten First, Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, Bill Willis, and the breaking of the NFL color barrier. It tells the story of the first four black players to break back into the National Football League in 1946, after an unspoken agreement kept the NFL nearly all white for decades after it was formed. For Johnson, telling the story is personal. He sees a direct link between the obstacles those men faced and the successes he would later enjoy in his professional career. He talked about the book and why he wrote it with Morning Edition host A. Martinez. This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the Wallet app and you're good to go. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana, who wants you to know that you can shop for your next car the convenient way, 100% online with Carvana. Carvana has thousands of vehicles that'll fit all sorts of budgets. Visit Carvana.com to shop for vehicles the convenient way. We'd like to introduce you to four men who changed American history. Now, most of us have read about Jackie Robinson, how he broke baseball's color line in 1947. But these four men did the same thing in pro football one year earlier. Their names, Marion Motley, Bill Willis, Woody Strode, and Kenny Washington. How good was Kenny Washington? He was the first African-American, all-American in UCLA's history in 1939. You know, he went on to become... First African-American player to end the ban on blacks being able to play in the National Football League. Super Bowl champion wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson is one of the authors of a new book, The Forgotten First, which tells the story of those four men. And when we spoke, he reminded me that there were black players in the then-fledgling NFL before 1933. Fitz Pollard was the first black player in the NFL, but then there was a hiatus for about 12 years prior to Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and, and Mary Motley, Bill Willis, getting drafted into the National Football League, at the time, professional football. And so that story needed to be told, that it was the breaking of the color barrier for real, you know, because there were so many people that were against having blacks play professional football in the NFL. Why? And Why were they against it? Man, you get bigots. You know, you think about George Preston Marshall, who owned the Washington Redskins. And he was basically a center of the attention to keep black players out of the NFL from about, I don't know, 1934 to about 1945. And he wanted to do that until other people stepped up and said, no, no, we're not doing that. To the politicians in Los Angeles got in the way of things and said, no, let's let's change the way we think. So the times between 1934 and 1946, do you believe there was an unspoken agreement to keep black players out? Because there wasn't anything written down anywhere, right? It is like it is in today's sports world when it comes to certain issues. It's like this unspoken rule, we don't need to say nothing. You think about the kneeling down and all that Kaepernick stuff, no one would sign him. They made every excuse that Kaepernick couldn't play anymore. But that wasn't the case. 
they just didn't want to deal with the backlash and the politics of losing money for their organizations. And I think when you think about the teams back then, it was teams that didn't want to deal with it. What did change was the decision by the Cleveland Rams to move to Los Angeles. They asked to play in the L.A. Memorial Coliseum and needed the okay from a taxpayer-funded commission that runs the stadium. Remember, this was 1946. A black sports writer named William Harding stood up at the commission meeting and asked if the then-all-white team would sign any black players. Witnesses say Harding's words left Rams general manager Charles Walsh shaken. He signed Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. Soon after, Marion Motley and Bill Willis signed with the Cleveland Browns. The NFL's color line was broken again. Why do you think over the years, Keyshawn, that these stories aren't more widely known? The way Jackie Robinson's story has become part of the fabric of not just sports history in America, but just our history as a country. Well, I think that was one of the the main reasons to create this book is so we can bring light to the situation because growing up, they're only teaching you what they want to teach you. They're only giving you the textbooks and the information in which they want to give you. They're going to give you the information on Martin Luther King and Jackie Robinson, but they're going to give you the information on Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and Bill Willis and Mary Motley. No, they didn't. So therefore, you didn't know. When we walk into our schools, it's about Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, and maybe Malcolm X if they're not afraid. That's what it is. And this is the reason that people like myself bring light to things of this nature. And it's unfortunate that where we were over the last 18 months or even a little bit further out had to dig this sort of stuff up to bring light to it. Jackie Robinson wasn't the only African-American athlete that had to be accepted in a sports society. These four gentlemen certainly paid a major price, and they laid the foundation down. And so when you look at that, that's something in itself. One more thing, Keyshawn. Today, black players make up the majority of the NFL. Over 50% of the NFL's players are black. What's the legacy of these four men that uh, you wrote about in your book? I would define it as putting a lot on the line so that I could have gotten drafted to be the number one overall pick when I did. And then now in 2021, there'll be another player that'll be drafted number one overall that potentially could be African-American. But if it wasn't for them, those things wouldn't be possible. Keyshawn Johnson, co-author of The Forgotten First, Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, Bill Willis, and The Breaking of the NFL Color Barrier. Keyshawn, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. This message comes from NPR sponsor Solgar. As people age, cellular function declines, which may impact changes in energy and strength. Solgar Cellular Nutrition is a holistic collection of cellular nutrients formulated to help fight cellular decline and promote cell health. Learn more at cellularnutrition.solgar.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From legendary players to a legendary coach, Bill Parcells enjoyed a career in the NFL that spanned decades and includes two Super Bowl victories with the New York Giants. But he's also known for mentoring a generation of men who would go on to coach their own Super Bowl-winning franchises. He writes about all this in his memoir, Parcells, A Football Life. Yet, it's not a story only about triumph. He also writes about his regrets— Bill Parcells spoke about the book with former NPR host David Green back in 2015. We sat down with him near his winter home in Jupiter, Florida. Surprising thing, Parcells 
almost didn't coach football. You know, I thought about law school a little bit. My dad had his law degree. I was working for a franchise called Pizza Hut when mm-hmm. I was in school. And I was really in on the literally the ground floor of that company. Wait a minute. This isn't the Bill Parcells I know. This is the Bill Parcells I know. I'm going to tell you, those I'm going to stand there around, wandering around. I really don't even know to get on the line and scream it. With these fiery tirades on the sideline, he was known as one of the fiercest coaches in the game. Parcells says he got a lot of that from his upbringing in New Jersey. His mom had what he called a big heart and short fuse, and his players might say the same about him. You can't be pretentious in this business. It's easily identified by the players. So you kind of have to be who you are. And yet, if you're forthright and honest and trying to do the best for your team, it doesn't really matter how you deliver the message. I read and it struck me that you you weren't totally satisfied with that being the image that people were kind of left with. Well, I think when you're on television... And they're seeing you on the sidelines, and they see you in moments under duress and in moments where you are angry and frustrated. I think they form an opinion that that that's you, and that in reality is just a very fragment of what you are. And I am that way in some respects, no doubt, and I'm not always proud of that. Take me to a moment that you're not proud of. I would say I was an average parent at best. Uh, I cared about my children a great deal, but I wasn't always there for them. And I missed a lot, and I was too busy chasing my dreams. And his book focuses a lot on his regrets, missing graduations and precious time with his three daughters. And yet he sounds so much like a father when he talks about his players, like Lawrence Taylor, a Hall of Fame Giants linebacker who struggled with drug abuse. The thing about Lawrence, he would never not tell me the truth. So when I couldn't get a hold of him for some reason, then I always worried Listening to how you talk about him, it almost sounds like he's a son to you. Well, there's a lot of sons out there. He's not just the only one. He's just one of the, he was one of the squeakier wheels. And there are a lot of them out there, a lot. But that's what this game does. People don't, they don't understand. Inside these locker rooms, that, that, those are great laboratories for human behavior. You You see it all there. And it's not all... It's not all what people think. There's a lot of sensitivity there. There's a lot of care in there. And uh, those championship teams, they, they're kind of attached together. What about losing teams, perpetually losing teams? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's a good Really, thing. I don't know that. Now, have I been through some disappointing seasons? Absolutely. And I have had a lot of heartache games that could have meant another championship and just didn't quite get to it. In his three decades as coach, Parcells won those two Super Bowls with the Giants. But the sweetest moment in his career, he says, was the game that got the Giants to the big stage the second time. We won the NFC Championship in 1990 against the San Francisco 49ers with three seconds on the clock. And the kick is good. 
The Giants win it 15-13. But then there are the low points. Late in his career, he felt like he still had a Super Bowl run in him. His Dallas Cowboys were in a 2007 playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks. Fourth quarter, a minute left. They're down by one point. So if you're Parcells, I mean, you're, you're almost compelled to go for the field goal. You have to kick the field goal. It's a really short field goal, almost automatic. Cowboys quarterback Tony Romo is going to hold the ball for the kicker. 19-yard field goal attempt. Oh, it is fumbled by Romo, and then Romo's going to run to the end zone, and he's going to get tackled by Jordan Babineau. Amazing. Of course, that was the last game I ever coached, so obviously it had an effect on me. I mean, now that that you're away from football, not coaching, out of the front office. Are you watching football oh, sure. every weekend? Oh, yeah. And right now, this time of year, my phone's blowing up. Who's it's calling? It's blowing up every day. Who's it, calling? Coaches, general managers, owners, a lot of people that are still involved in the game. And uh, that's a nice part of having been there and done it when people are calling you and, and asking you for advice in, on certain subjects. It's nice, you know. How important has it been to watch some of these coaches who you've brought up? The Bill Parcells coaching tree. I mean, I I think of Tom Coughlin with the Giants and Belichick with the Patriots. They're their own men. They're their own men. You can say Parcells coaching tree, but they're their own guys, and they've done it basically on their own. But all of us need just a little push in the right direction. Uh, Not that my way was the right way for everybody or even the right way for very many but it's nice to see that guys came up with you to go on and be successful and win super bowls and win super bowls that's yeah i take a great deal of pride in that and when bill belichick a member of that parcells coaching tree leads the new england patriots on sunday against the seattle seahawks going for his fourth super bowl title you can understand what's on the line just by listening to a speech from Bill Parcells. It's from his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2013. We got happiness. We got humor, practical jokes, hilarity, success, achievement. And then we've got that momentary time of exhilaration where you hoist that championship trophy over your head. And I don't know what happens. But some mystical blood kinship is formed. And although it's a fleeting moment, that kinship lasts for the rest of your life. That's Bill Parcells. His book is called Parcells, A Football Life. And that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookoftheday at npr.org. I'm Tim Bidermius. This podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez Sarmiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Kai McNamee, Matthew Sherman, Martin Patience, Adam Rainey, Gurjeet Kaur, Rina Edvani, Shelby Hawkins, and myself. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks so much for listening. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. 
For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Made in Cookware. Did you know that many of the most popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in made-in pots and pans? Their carbon steel cookware combines the best of cast iron and stainless clad, gets super hot, and is rugged enough for grills or an open flame. Best of all, Maiden is sold online. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes on menus all around the world have in common. They're Maiden, Maiden.